and welcome to the Adaptation Station podcast. This is your host, Nicole. I'm a former special education teacher and currently an ABA therapist at a private center. This podcast is filled with tips and tricks for not only being the best special education teacher you can be in the classroom, but living the best life you can live outside of the classroom as well. After all, I'm all about balance. Hope you guys are excited. Let's jump on in. everyone and welcome back to the podcast. Today I'm bringing on a co-host to help talk about an area that I have no experience in. When I was a teacher I taught grades three to five and when I was a teaching assistant before that I worked in a high school. So I do have experience from like third grade all the way through 12th grade but really anything below that especially that early childhood level I don't know anything about at all but luckily my co-host does so I'm gonna have her introduce herself now. Hi everyone, I am Katie Smith from Spot on Special Ed and I am in my fifth year teaching, my seventh year in education and I was kind of like Nicole before I moved into early childhood. Um, I started out in an autism unit, we had a fourth and a fifth grader and then I went to a behavior unit and that was like first through fifth grade and then I did inclusion in uh, first I was split for a second and then I moved to early childhood and man let me tell you that was a um, that was a shock to my system because um, they come in and they they have skills but not the skills that you're used to students having um, and so therefore the skills that you're teaching are different than the skills that you're used to teaching, um, especially if you haven't been, been in it before, but I'm really excited to talk about it. I think, um, I'm hopeful this will be, uh, you know, super helpful to your listeners. And, um, like I said, it's only my second year in early childhood, but I've learned a lot and I'm still learning as we all do, but, um, it's been a steep learning curve. And so I do have a lot of information that I can share. Perfect. So the first thing I, I want to talk about, I think people get a little confused by what we mean by, you know, early childhood or early intervention. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of answer like, how is this different than just like the preschool down the road that, uh, a mom might enroll her child in and in the same context, why is this because I would think a parent would think like oh every child needs early intervention so (laughs) how do we kind of differentiate who needs this specialized intervention why they need it and why maybe the local mini land in your neighborhood doesn't meet the need the way a classroom like yours does totally so um I don't know how it works like nationwide but um in Texas where I'm at a child can be serviced through what's called early childhood intervention from the ages of zero to three. And then when they're aging out of early childhood intervention, that's when they would qualify for early childhood special education, which was formerly known as PPCD, Preschool Program for Children with Disabilities. Um, And so the way that kids qualify and the reason that they qualify for services in my classroom is because there's an academic need um, for services, they're going to be not able to cope come kindergarten if they don't receive that early intervention in my classroom. Um, and so the, you know, they go through the whole process of being evaluated by the district or, um, 
sometimes it happens at the district level. Sometimes it happens like through the school LSSP, depending kind of depending on some some stuff. But um, but they get evaluated, and then as an ARD committee, an IEP committee, um, we we decide whether or not there's an academic need for services. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, so a follow-up question, because my experience working at the elementary level is typically, like I hate to phrase it like this, but sometimes our kids have to go into that general education environment and we have to prove that they're struggling to mm -hmm. be able to them more support. So I am imagining that sometimes it can be difficult with those kids that are at that pre-academic age to mm -hmm. prove that there is that deficit to get them the intervention they need. Can you talk a little bit more about like what that looks like or how you get that information if they're not in the school system? Totally, so we do what's called a multidisciplinary evaluation, which means that um, there's three different people involved in the evaluation of each student that's coming in if we think that they're going to qualify for my program. So it's me um, or the other special education teacher um, that also does early childhood. The LSSP, the licensed specialist in school psychology, and then our speech language pathologist. And all three of us um, sit and evaluate this student usually at the same time. Um, so the kid will come on campus for in non-COVID non times. The child will come on campus and we'll um, take them to an office and, you know, kind of very informally play-based um, kind of evaluate them. And so the things for my classroom, I teach in a self-contained environment. So my students are with me all day long and they don't have um, interaction with typically developing peers. and except for like recess times. Um, and so for my room, what we're really looking for, what we're considering is um, a, a deficit in skills such as joint attention, um, a deficit in communication, a deficit in uh, behavior, things that are going to really impact them if they don't receive the intervention. And so, um, you know, I'm not an expert in this by any means. I'm not a school psychologist. I'm not a speech language pathologist, but um, kind of what I've gathered from my, you know, the opportunity I've had to participate in these evaluations is um, we're, we're looking for students who, if they don't receive intervention, they're not going to make progress. Um, some, you know, the difference between you kind of talked about like a typically developing say three-year-old two and a half year old when they get evaluated is that they'll continue to progress if they're at home with their parents a typically developing child will make progress um kiddos that need to be with me or qualify for special ed services at that age are not going to make that progress at home if they don't receive the intervention and so I know that this next question is like a huge one because how can you even begin to like simplify what your job is into a mm -hmm. nice nugget? But can you just, for people who are understanding how kids enter your classroom, but then wondering what your day really looks like and like what that dynamic is, can you kind of explain to us what it means to be in a classroom like yours? Yeah, I think like the, 
the main concept that people have of early childhood instruction is like, oh, you play all day because it is very play-based. But um, the reason that kids qualify is oftentimes social. You know, a lot of my students have autism. A lot of my students have social, um, so like areas in social play where they struggle. And so that's going to impact them come kindergarten. And so what we're teaching, what we're doing is kind of filling those holes. Um, so I always like to say that, and I said this when I was in the behavior classroom too, and I feel the same way in this environment that I'm in now, but my job is kind of to work myself out of a job if I'm doing my job right, right? So like my students eventually, hopefully will not need me anymore and can move on to the other early childhood classroom, which is a collaborative setting. Um, and then they are with typically developing peers in that setting. So my job is to teach those prerequisite skills, the joint attention, communication, behavior. Um, and when I say behavior, I mean things like very simple things like following one step directions, um, being able to transition between, uh, a preferred activity to a non-preferred activity without, you know, having a complete tantrum. Um, and so th those are the types of things that I'm doing all day, every day. We follow the same schedule as a general education pre-K class. The activities are adapted, so I do a lot more hands-on, um, you know, kind of student-led play than the regular pre-K classes do, but I'm still um, I'm still maintaining the integrity of the schedule and providing the same, um, you know, the same components of the daily routine that the typically developing three and four year olds get. Can you pinpoint anything that you really wish you had known about this type of setting before you started the job that would have helped you prepare for such a different shift in a job? Yeah, I think the main thing and i think anybody that teaches early childhood or kindergarten or like those really young ages is going to understand where i'm coming from but the main thing is that like they really come in knowing nothing and i don't mean that they don't have skills i mean that they don't know how to school they don't know how to be at school and so you have to teach that explicitly from day one um and then the other thing that's interesting is that because they qualify for services when they turn three, you get new students all year long because they start when they turn three, like on their third birthday is when they can start school. So I'm, for example, I'm having two meetings next month for students that are turning three in May and they can start services in May. Um, and so it's like two weeks before the end of the school year, but we still provide services. How did, or do you have any recommendations for maybe somebody that just got hired in this position of uh, resources that they can look at or things that they can do to kind of get themselves prepared before they start the new school year? Yeah, I would say I'm still, I'm still working on this myself because like I said, it's my second year, which means my first year was last year, 20, 2019, 2020, and we went on COVID in March. So um, this is kind of my first full year, but we started the year um, with students in person later because students started back later. So I'm still kind of figuring all that out too. And I'm really grateful to have a really strong support system in my district. Um, they provide a lot of uh, guidance and are always able to help. Um, but I would say really reading up on what the infant toddler guidelines are 
um, like the, the milestones that infant toddlers meet because my students are so delayed that they sometimes enter my classroom at, you know, like a 12 month level, 14 month level. And so I have to know what the next progression, like what the next progressive step in child development is. And that, when I found that information, it was super helpful because then it made sense why my students were not sitting at a table because they couldn't, they couldn't, you know? Um, and so like developmentally they were not there. And so I think really familiarizing yourself with um, what you can reasonably expect from a child at that developmental level is important. And then also just making sure that you understand your resources um, that your district provides. My district provides so many resources and it was very overwhelming, but I would say like, just pick one and familiarize yourself with that and then move on to the next one. I think that's great advice because I think I wasn't even thinking about it in that context, but you're dealing a lot with kind of timelines and expectations that don't exist in a typical school setting. Because I think a lot of teachers, even teachers in those self-contained settings at older grade levels, they go to the general education standards and mm -hmm. then from there, but there are no general education standards that exist for a child of the age of three. So I could definitely yeah. see where you go in and you're not really sure where to start, but going back to those developmental levels can definitely give you insight. And I, I could totally see myself like setting goals for a, a student that maybe I assume is developmentally at the age of three. And if they're not, like I, I'm setting them up for not success. And I, I could see myself struggling to understand that. So I feel like that was a great recommendation. Do you feel and, like, oh, go ahead. Oh, so I was just going to say, and it's, it's like one of those things where when you stop expecting students to be more than they are um, and not like just letting them do bare minimum, like still like raising expectations so they're learning, but when you're not expecting them to do more than they can physically and mentally do, then your life becomes so much easier. Like otherwise you feel like you're butting heads with students and that's really frustrating. But when I finally like figured out like, oh, this kid is only three years old. Like, come on, Katie. Like, you can't expect this kid to be sitting at the table holding a pencil. Like, give him some Play-Doh on the floor. And he's, like, it's, it's building those same fine motor skills, but it's developmentally appropriate. Is your setting rare, or in other words, do you have limited opportunity for collaboration in your district, or do you feel like you have a lot of other people that you can talk to who are in a similar setting? So I'm the only person on my campus that does the job I do. So I mentioned that there's another early childhood special ed teacher, but she teaches the collab setting. So our jobs are very different. Um, but, you know, I said that I want to work myself out of a job by like preparing my kids to go to her classroom. So they go to her classroom and they learn different things and they learn in my classroom. But um, I'm lucky that one of my paras from last year became a teacher in the same type of setting that I'm in. So I'm able to talk with her. And um, then, like I said, the support system, like the, the, chain of command, the hierarchy, the people higher up than me are very supportive. And I can, you know, like I have their phone numbers and I can text them if I have a question or I can email them and they're very responsive. Um, and then one of like the person that's in charge, in charge has been um, in my classroom a lot this year um, for 
several different reasons, but she is like really focused on helping me become a better early childhood teacher. And I really appreciate all the support that like she's been pouring into me that time and energy um, because it, it, it's making me a better teacher. So. And I would never put you on the spot to ask you about your school dynamic. So I'll just talk about the dynamic at the school that mm -hmm. I taught at. We mm -hmm. did have an early childhood classroom specifically for students with autism spectrum disorders. So you mm -hmm. have to have that diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder at the age of three to get into that classroom, which is not always the case because sometimes students will have that developmental delay educational label until they get into kindergarten. So these were specific mm -hmm. that were found educationally eligible under ASD. Mm -hmm. And so for those teachers, I, that classroom was there for five years and I saw a couple of teachers come in and out of it, but they oftentimes ended up having a lot more expertise than the admin that were based at my school had because the administrators didn't know a whole lot about autism and they also didn't know a whole lot about, they had kids as young as two in that class, about two-year-old, like you said, developmental. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of them really had to learn to be more confident in saying, like, I need to go find another source within my district that maybe isn't at this school base to bring into this conversation. Mm -hmm. Someone who is an expert in autism spectrum disorders or someone who is an expert in early childhood development. And mm -hmm. that would be a really tough thing to become more confident at. But if your principal has, you know, been a fifth grade teacher and then went on to be an administrator, it's okay to say, you know what, we might need to bring somebody else into this conversation and you really need to be the person that can advocate for using the resources in the county. Totally. And I think that that's like, that doesn't put me on the spot because like, I think that's very typical of every school. Um, there's always going to be, and that's regardless of what, I know we're talking about early childhood special ed, but like, that's regardless of what position you're in because every principal, every vice principal is going to have a classroom on their campus that they don't know anything about. Um, and they're not going to be able to provide the support that that teacher needs. And that's okay. Um, their job is not to be, you know, a jack of all trades. Their job is to help guide and provide resources and know when, um, you know, like say like, oh, Katie's struggling with early childhood special ed. I don't know anything about ECSE. Let me call the person at the district. She can come out and help. Um, like that, that's their job. And so I don't think that anybody should, you know, I, I would see why somebody would be apprehensive about maybe speaking up and advocating for themselves, but like, just to reassure people, I think that that's totally normal. And if you don't feel like you are being supported in the way that you need or your questions aren't being answered, because um, sometimes you'll, you'll ask someone a question and they'll answer it and you're like, that is not what I was asking, but thank you. Um, like, just be like, be brave and say that so that you get the support that you need. Because what you don't want is to go six months, a year, two years thinking that you know the answer because your admin told you, but that was the wrong answer because it wasn't somebody that was really qualified to answer your question, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense. And I found, of course, I was in a three, five setting. So my mm -hmm. admin had a lot of experience with kids in those grades, uh, but mm -hmm. they had a, lot of, uh, a lot of experience with autism spectrum disorders. And sometimes it was more helpful if I could be very direct in who I needed them to find. So if I just mm -hmm. went said like I'm having x y and z problem they didn't know what to do but if I went to them and said we're really struggling with reading comprehension beyond the level of what my reading specialist can provide because you know a lot of 
uh, children with autism spectrum disorders struggle with a lot of those interverbal concepts, let alone being able mm -hmm. to comprehend from a text and I needed specialized mm -hmm. help. If I could mm -hmm. get some of those keywords, it was easier for them to go call the special department and find that person for me. And I, I worked in a huge district. I do understand that there are districts that maybe only have three schools, but you mm -hmm. still probably have resources in an apartment that's off-site that you might not know about, and your principal might not realize that that's who you need, but if you can give them enough information, they can call around and find that support for you. Totally, and I think like, or I'd like to think that administrators don't become administrators because they like, have all the answers they become admin because they want to help you and so um if you go to them i've i have totally found that to be true also that if i go with the plan of action of like this is what i need can you help me fill this need my principal is usually like yes absolutely let me call somebody you yeah. know and it's not uh -huh. like i i definitely have that complex of like oh if i go and ask for help then they think i don't know how to do my job so I never wanted to go advocate for help. And I didn't realize that they wanted me to come say I need help. Cause like you said, they wanted me to be successful and they didn't even, like they had no idea how to get me help because they didn't really understand what the problem was. And when I was more open about, these are my struggles, then we could find me the supports I needed. But I had to swallow that pill and say like, yeah, I don't, I've been teaching for four years, but I still don't know what to do. Can you help me? And it just helped everyone a lot better in the yeah. end. And I think like if we make that more the culture of schools and teaching in general, like teaching would be so much better because we would feel more supported. But instead, we feel like we have to know everything. And that's very stressful. Like I don't, I don't want to know everything. I want to be able to call somebody or read a book to learn something. <laughs> and then I can forget it again. And then I can read the book again, you know. Um, but I, yeah, I we put so much pressure on ourselves as educators to um to have all the answers and like you said it makes us feel like we're almost like inept like we don't know what we're doing even though we're doing it every day um and so i think yeah if we could just all and myself included like ask for the help that we need and not be not be scared to do that. I think, I think we would all be happier as educators for sure. Well, those are all the questions I had planned to ask you. Did you have anything else that you wanted to cover in this topic? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess there's, there, there's a couple of different points. So I'll just start with, if you're going to be in early childhood, at least in Texas, the paperwork is massive. Like you, the, the paperwork is just insane. You have to do a whole bunch of progress reporting um, because um, it's not, I don't know, there's like different requirements from the law where like you have to be more specific about the things that you're monitoring and um, then we have to do what are called child outcome summary forms or COSIFs and so those are like when a kid enters um, services in, under the early childhood umbrella, you have to fill out this like form and then when they exit the early childhood umbrella, you have to fill it out also. Um, so I would just say like prepare yourself for paperwork and um, like just make sure that you have systems in place that help you stay on top of it because it, bec it can become very overwhelming. And as somebody who is 
an A plus procrastinator, that's not good. Um, and then the other thing I would say is that if you're going to teach early childhood special ed, you have a big responsibility beyond just educating your students. And that is that you are the first interaction that this family that is coming into the school system is having with the said school system, right? So their child has never been in school before. They've never been serviced through um, school special ed before. And you're the first person usually that is reaching out to them to um, help their child through the school system. And that's a big responsibility. You're going to shape the way that these families feel about schools. Um, and so I take that very seriously. Um, I, I would encourage people that when they have initial IEP meetings where they're qualifying a student for services, block out enough time to explain everything to the parents. Um, make them proficient advocates for their child so that when, because maybe, you know, when their kids are with me, I'm not concerned because I know that I'm doing what I need to do in order to help their children make progress. But what happens if they move and they go to another district or another school where maybe the teachers are not doing what needs to be done, that parent is going to need to advocate for their child. And if they don't know the power that they hold as parents, then they won't be able to do that effectively. And so it's our job as that initial contact to teach them. Um, you know, we don't just teach students, we teach the parents also how to advocate for their children. And so I just, that's what I, I always want new early childhood special ed teachers to know that, um, that that's a big, a big responsibility that we bear as, um, as these kids first teachers. And so um, I would just really encourage people to think about that. I feel like what I really like about this entire podcast is although you were talking about early childhood, you shared information that's important for people across a bunch of different uh, fields to consider because what when you were just talking I'm not a teacher anymore but I'm working with a family whose child is four so you know again they're getting ready to go into the school system and I can be a really strong advocate and helping them understand all the terminology because I have sat in IEP meetings where I feel pretty confident the parents don't know what we're talking about because we use so many acronyms so that's important if you're working with I mean, honestly, even at the, with kids at the age of 10, even if their kids have been in school for eight years, it was important for me to kind of watch the parents and say like, oh, they might not know what we're talking about. Let me pause and just make sure that everyone is on the same page with what we're talking about. And I also feel like just a lot of the advice for looking for outside help applies to people, even if you're in a high school setting, you know, there's probably more supports outside of your campus that you can ask for. I think like the strong, like the thing that can make people stronger practitioners, no matter what, is accepting that they don't know everything and seeking outside help. Mm -hmm. um, and, you, you know, the strongest practitioners I've met both in education and then I'm going for my BCBA also. So like in that are people who are willing to say, you know what, I don't have the answer to that right now, but let me find out. Um, or let me consult with somebody else and I'll get back to you. And I've never been upset that somebody didn't have the answer right away. I am always grateful that we're getting the right answer and not the fastest answer um, or the easiest answer. 
but yeah, I think, I think early childhood is just, um, different. And then in the, you know, in the ABA world also, um, we, we have that same responsibility for incoming students or clients that are just starting to receive services, um, we have a responsibility to make sure that parents are providing informed consent and that parents are comfortable with everything we're talking about. Um, because if they don't understand what we're saying, then they can't consent, right? So um, we, you know, we, we bear that responsibility regardless of field, um, uh, you know, field of study, field of work. And I think it's just important to remind ourselves of that. And um, you know, being in early childhood, I always knew parents felt this way before, but being in early childhood has really just sharpened my focus that parents, you know, I have at this point 10 students in my classroom, but a lot of these parents have this one child and this child is their whole world. And so they are very concerned. Of course they are. Um, and that is good for me as their teacher that the parents are concerned. I want parents to be concerned because that means that they're active participants in their child's progress and education. And so kind of flipping the way, you know, education has this tendency to be like, oh, that's a very involved parent. Uh-oh, um, like be careful with that parent. And I'm like, this parent is really involved. This is great. Like I, here's stuff you can work on at home, like to generalize skills. And um, yeah, I, I think early childhood just has this like more intense focus on like what we do really matters. It's like a whole year of, or two years of intervention that this kid wouldn't receive otherwise. And so it's really important that we maximize that time that we have with them. Well, I feel like that was a great note to end on because that mm -hmm. is something I feel strongly um, with just with families, what you said with like, oh, like that family and mm -hmm. really shifting how we approach that situation because those families are the ones that you can really collaborate with in the way that we should all dream to. So thank you so much for coming on the episode. I hope you guys found this one helpful and we'll catch you in the next one.